0: Hello and welcome to Queering Desi. I'm your host Priya. As a South Asian queer non-binary person, I have learned a lot on my journey of self-acceptance and building community. So in each episode, I will bring you a slice of South Asian LGBTQ life with a guest who exemplifies what it means to be who you are and to live your truth. I like to create a safe and open discussion with our guests and listeners. So if the topics on this podcast are controversial, Please know these opinions are of the guest and host, and we don't mean any offense. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Queering Daisy listeners. This is Priya. I want to take a moment before we get to the episode to wish you all a happy Pride. All month long, we'll be bringing you brand new episodes and content, so be sure to follow us on social media at Queering Daisy. Hit subscribe on iTunes. Or catch us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time on Recus Avenue Radio, Dash Radio's exclusive South Asian radio station. We're also happy to announce our first new batch of merchandise. We have t-shirts, sweatshirts, tanks, mugs, totes, and more in our online store if you want to rep Queering Daisy out in the world. We have a lot more stories to cover in the coming weeks and months, so we hope you'll consider supporting us, either through our online store or by signing up on our Patreon. You can find out more about both on our website, www.queeringdaisy.com. We appreciate your support always, and we are always open to feedback. So if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us. So without much further ado, let's get to the show. All right, welcome to Queering Daisy. This week, we have Charmaine Hussein, and I'm going to go ahead and let them introduce themselves.
1: Hi, it is such a pleasure to be on Queering Daisy. Uh, my name is Charmaine Hussein. I'm the mother of a trans and queer child, and uh, I use uh, she, her pronouns. I've been in the U.S. for about 25 years. As part of my journey as an immigrant being here, the last four or five years, have been dedicated to learning more about how to be a supportive and accepting family to a queer child, and I'd love to share that
0: journey with all of you today. Thank you so much, Charmaine. First of all, I'll just say for myself, uh, I'll start with this. We talked to Aruna last season from They See Rainbow, Parents and Allies. And that was one of our most listened to episodes. And I'm really proud of that because I feel like even though we really center LGBTQ narratives on this show, like family for our cultures are so wrapped up in our journey of queerness and transness that like there's no conversation we can have without kind of acknowledging that. So I really do appreciate you coming on this show to talk about it. I don't think it's something... We talk about enough, and I would love to hear your perspective. What was it like for you to find out about your child? And can we kind of start there in terms of how you started to unfold on your own journey as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think for us, Samir was always slightly different. Uh, Samir is uh, my child's name, and I think you're going to be uh, also doing a podcast with him. Yes. uh, So people get a chance to know Samir's journey. In fact, Samir just transitioned last week. To uh, wanting us to use they them pronouns exclusively so I'm trying to now learn that and if I keep slipping mm. I apologize mm, um okay. but yeah but so Samir you know was always a little bit different in that almost you know as soon as they could talk they were really interested in playing with girls toys You know, the room was kind of like uh, littered with, you know, Cinderella slippers and uh, purses. When uh, Samir was young, we, you know, were very happy uh, to indulge. As Samir started getting older, uh, there was a little bit of bullying happening from friends. We would see behavior where they would take all these toys and quickly hide them under a bed, you know, before friends would be coming over. And so we started thinking maybe, you know, we need to not encourage it as much. And and that started sort of a journey as Samir started growing older with us wanting to, you know, make him more masculine or make them more masculine, make them more, you know, fitting for the world that would be a little too harsh for a child as sensitive as they were. We also live in a very um immigrant heavy town. Around us and in the school district that Samir was uh, going to, uh, the makeup of the school was 80. And then by the time they graduated middle school, 90 percent Asian students, not just Mm. from South Asia, but all different parts of Asia. And most of them, you know, children of immigrants. And so we we as well as they were bringing all their conceptions about what it means to be, you know, masculine or feminine, what it means to be queer with us, And I would say it wasn't a very accepting environment at that time. Mm. And so we, you know, did a lot of things wrong, I think, in retrospect. But like one thing I always think about was, you know, forcing Samir to like join Boy Scouts uh, mm. or do some sport. We just gave him a choice, you know, at least either a sport or Boy Scouts. And so that was probably the worst environment for someone like Samir, you know, but we were sending mm. him on these or sending them on these trips and hikes with a whole bunch of other boys who are all trying to like, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. do things that are like, you know, just, just a very different environment. And in those days, I think the Boy Scouts of America were also not even accepting of gay people. I think there was mm-hmm. a lot of stories that were breaking that, you know, uh, somebody who uh, had come out was not being given their Eagle Scout title. Another person who had come out, uh, who was an assistant scoutmaster, was kicked out of the organization. So not a great organization for somebody to be a part of. So I think at the back of our mind, almost throughout, I at least, you know, maybe we hadn't verbalized it, but I at least always wondered and uh, maybe dreaded, I would say, but never talked about it much. Mm-hmm. As Samir was getting older and getting bullied and being called gay all the time as a slur or an insult, I remember a few times telling Samir, look, you know, it doesn't matter. It's not an insult. Even you don't know whether you may be gay or not. And at any point, if you are, we will accept you. We will love you. I have many friends who, you know... I've known who were queer and uh, they've had great lives. So I started maybe once or twice having this conversation with Samir, but he would shut it down very quickly, mm. feeling very embarrassed. And I think at that time, they themselves had not come out to the, themselves, right? Mm. It's, a, it's mm-hmm. such a big journey for a person going through it. And now I'm realizing in retrospect, it was there were easy words for me to say but even when somebody came out to us, we were like, We love you, we accept you, but we weren't just like everything's great now, let's celebrate, you know? Yeah. We we said we'd be fine, but we did have a little bit of a journey and struggle of our own getting there, both my husband and I.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you said a few things I, I wanted to kind of follow up on. One was like the gender roles, right? So I think what's so interesting is this and maybe you can shed some light on this as your experience as well but I think what's what was interesting for me in my journey with my parents was the differentiation between sexual orientation and gender identity right so but it goes back to small things when when I was growing up I was really tomboyish so I had I loved t-shirts and jeans I didn't wear makeup I wanted to play basketball And you mentioned like the toys as one of these early kind of indicators in retrospect. Can you talk a little bit about your understanding at that time, if you can, of like that kind of gender playing out? I know in our South Asian communities, there are these kind of norms that we inherit and may not even question or challenge until there's like a disruption of that. Can you talk a little bit about your journey of just understanding that or now that kind of being an indicator of maybe what was to come later?
1: Yeah, I would say I had a very poor understanding of the difference. Mm. And I was buying into a lot of stereotypes. Two of the ones that particularly I'm so happy I've learned more about and have been kind of able to. And I don't know if they're stereotypes or if they're biases, you know, what's Mm. the right term for it. But I think one big one for me was feeling like, especially there's an idea that if a girl is more masculine, she may be a tomboy. It might be hard for her to adjust, let's say in the world, but she's stronger. Like I think about all the things that Disney has been doing recently with, you know, more female leads. To me, they seem like I'm brave. I'm going in like, you know, fighting wars. I'm, you know, Mm -hmm. saving my family. This is what it means to be, a strong woman, right? Mm. And for men or for boys, I'm not seeing and wasn't even at that time seeing a lot of examples in media or in my life or anywhere where being a feminine boy meant you were stronger Mm. and braver, which you absolutely are, you know? But for me, I associated femininity with weakness and lack of strength. And to me, that is such a misogynistic way of thinking, even for a woman. And I know I'm not the only one. And so when I would Mm -hmm. look at Samir and I would see them not fitting the gender stereotypes that I had, the fear there for me was both that this was going to be perceived as a weakness and that Samir was going to be too sensitive to be able to handle it. There would be no room in the world, you know, whether they were gay or not, who they loved, I never worried about, or it never bothered me. I have no, I am such a romantic at heart for me. All Hmm. love is sacred. And so it was always this fear of like what other people might say or do. And even if they were eventually going to love another, you know, man, which I did, I associated their lack of, you know, Uh, masculinity and their more feminine characteristics automatically with their sexual orientation, which, you know, have really no connection with each other. Mm -hmm. I was not really as worried even then about like the fact that they might, you know, be in love with another, uh, you know, man when they grow up, but much more about them being feminine and, you know, both young boys At that time, and then as they grew older and went to the workplace and, you know, went out in the world and whether they liked even a woman, I felt like women would reject that. The world would Mm. would reject that they would just have a lot of difficulties. And so if I could, you know, help them navigate better this world and what the expectations of boys are, it would make Samir better equipped to lead a happier life. That was kind of the misconception I was operating with all with a lot of love which makes it even worse. Mm -hmm. I think if you do things and you're, you know, not very loving about it, a child can like also, you know, push back. (laughs) But we were always doing everything with a lot of love, a lot of like, you know, well-meaning, well-intentioned, things that made Samir's life, I think, a little harder. And Samir will always keep saying we were great parents, but, you know, that is so not true. We did a lot of things that I'm really kind of like ashamed about now. But yeah, so with Samir, other things that I would do, Samir loved theater. So we encouraged that. We really enjoyed watching him or watching them, sorry, on stage. But I would always keep saying, Samir, you're such a great actor. You know, you're able to do different accents. You're able to do different postures. Why don't you just walk a little straighter, hold your hands firm? Like I would do all these crazy things when Samir was Mm -hmm. a child Telling them, you know, just just walk like this, sit like this, don't sit like this, you know, make your voice a little deeper. You're an actor, why don't you use those skills to sort of project really what the world needs to see of you? Mm -hmm. And that's the part that I feel so ashamed about now. But at that time, in some crazy way, it made sense to me that that was good parenting advice.
0: It sounds like you did the best you could. And I know that now, you know, all these things in retrospect look a certain way. But I know even from just conversations with my own parents, like it's taken me a long journey with them to reach a place where like I can recognize it like they also didn't know any better. But I think what's great is that parents kind of embark on their own journey of understanding. And so I think you talking about this is going to be so helpful for other folks who feel the same way or think the same way and maybe would never say it or never talk about it. Is that you did the best you could, you know, and what we're trying to do now and what Samir definitely is trying to do in their activism is start to change some of those things and the way that we can do that is talking about that. Right. Like, I think I think that's so big of you to recognize and to talk about because it's just not talked
1: about, you know. Yes. The reason why I share all of this stuff more now, first, because Samir has been very comfortable sharing their journey And their Mm. hardships. And I think it's easy now where I'm in such a different place for me to come and just talk about how wonderful everything is, which I do want to talk about. And how Mm. now at this moment, I can honestly say that Samir coming out, Samir being part of the LGBTQ community is probably the best thing that could have happened to me as a human being being part mm. of their journey, being forced to grow, to challenge my assumptions about so many things in the world has opened me up to both new experiences and to sort of like opening myself up to other people in a way that I wasn't before. I'm richer for it. I'm more empathetic for it. I'm just a better human being. And I'm actually loving life also more because of it, because in supporting Samir, there's so much that I've learned about also things that, as I said, I had like later, you know, all this misogyny mm. <laughs> embedded in my own self, even though I thought I was such a feminist, right? There was just so much learning that has happened for me. And I've met so many wonderful people that if today I even had a choice knowing everything, I would not want to change one thing about Samir. Mm. But that's where I am now. But sort of remembering and reminding myself of all the mistakes I made in the past, I hope, is a more helpful thing, at least, you know, for other parents who might be on a journey to here as well. Yeah,
0: absolutely. You were talking about this idea of, like, not knowing as a parent, like, those things that you were going through and now kind of looking back seeing these things and now in a much better place, being able to recognize the changes that came about. But I'm curious to know, like, how does that change come about, right? Like, I know that's a very large question, but for families to experience growth on their own, what are some of the the parts of that journey that you can highlight for other parents or families that might be going through something similar?
1: Uh, sure, yeah. I think for us, the first big step was when Samir, in high school... Came out to us. Uh, Samir says that pretty quickly after they sort of came out to themselves, they told us, and we were the first people to know. And that Samir, their own journey was less about worrying about our acceptance and more just sort of like overcoming their own internalized homophobia. And so in that way, Samir is very kind to us. And I think we probably did a better job conveying to Samir that we would accept. Uh, then, then turned out to be the case. We were very accepting. I, I remember, you know, after the first week of like asking so many questions, and that's kind of what, what was going on in our journeys. It started with mm-hmm. somebody coming out to us and all of our fears, my fears, sort of like, you know, jumped through the roof. Uh, somebody first came out to me, not to my husband, and wanted me to be the one to share. And, both I and then my husband had just a lot of questions. And those questions, you don't ask those kinds of questions as if a child comes to you and says they're straight. So almost mm. any question you ask, no matter how you know how you do it and, and how supportive you're trying to be, becomes sort of like a hint to a child that something's not right, or that you don't fully accept them, or that this is not great news you know, for the parent. And I think that I did cry a little bit, but I never did it in front of Samir. And for Samir, we just had these questions like you're just 14, you're so young, you've never dated, you know, how do you know? Shouldn't you at least try to date both a girl? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, you know, then maybe later a boy just to know for sure. You know, the journey is very confusing. You don't really know so much. And so I think the... Interesting insight for me is that for a child coming out, probably the only thing that they really might know initially is that they're, for some of the children, that they're, you know, not straight or they're queer is such a great term, you know, that allows Mm -hmm. room for exploration because Samir did have a lot of exploring still to do, but needed to have labels to convey to us that they're different. And so the Mm -hmm. first thing that they told us was that they were bisexual which now we know is both such a problematic thing for the bisexual community to have, you know, kids think that they might be bisexual and later on decide that they're maybe gay. Mm -hmm. Samir just uses the term queer now. But when Samir first told us, I'm bisexual, we were like, well, that means you can love both a woman and a man. Why not go down the easier path and just choose a woman? (laughs) Things Mm -hmm. like that, right? And so for us, what helped though was... The fact that we had a great relationship with our child and that when we asked all these questions, Samir would listen and then go try to find information and facts and examples for us. Come back, explain. If that thing was sort of checked off, we'd move on to the next thing. Otherwise, Samir would just keep trying to circle back. Wouldn't get super irritated with us. Wouldn't get super angry with us. And because they had done their own research on sort of the fact that parents go through a journey. And mm-hmm. then as we'd learn more, we'd come back and apologize for things we might have said or things that we were doing. And Samir would always be like, you know, I've had many years to get here and you're just starting, so it's okay. Mm-hmm. That, I think, for a 14-year-old is sort of a rare, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, rare sort of piece of insight. So I think that in our case, we were very blessed. Samir gifted me with books and encouraged me to read them and then would answer questions based on my readings. And so that sort of gave me the push. And then there was just so much content on the web. The Mm -hmm. second thing that helped along in the journey for us was the fact that Samir very early on decided they were going to sort of stand up for things that they were seeing that weren't okay. The first Mm -hmm. was like the Pope saying that adults supporting Mm -hmm transgender children are committing a sin and that this is the worst. It's almost like a form of child abuse. And we Mm -hmm. in our home were kind of admirers of the new Pope and how they were changing the Catholic community, opening it up, making it like more of an accepting place for different types of people. And so when this sort of comment started circulating, Samir was very unhappy wrote a really nice letter to the Pope and wanted to publish it on Huffington Post. Mm. And we, at that time, were on a private journey with Samir. It had just been maybe a month or maybe a few months, but not a lot of time. And here, Samir wants to go and publish this. And my husband said that, look, if you put this letter out, then we just need to be aware that, you know, something you put out there, even if you think not a lot of people will read it, it, many people could. That means you were coming out openly to the public. Are you ready for this? Are you really sure? What if later on you want to, you know, if things change for you? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I remember at that time having a conversation with my sister who lives in New York, is 10 years younger to me. And it was a very helpful thing that she said to me. Uh, She's like, what are you scared about? And I said, you know, what if later on somebody realizes they're not gay or not bisexual or queer and we live in such a small community what if no one accepts Samir like what if a girl later on like Samir has a harder time dating because of this phase or this period Mm -hmm. my sister said don't you want Samir to be marrying I whether it's you know a girl or a boy don't you want them to marry someone who will accept them in all their phases and all their entirety for who they are which was mm. such an important thing for me. It completely freed me up because, of course, that's a yes. And so I stopped caring whether something was a phase or not a phase. In fact, I started embracing the idea that, you know what, we shouldn't be so rigid about our sexuality or our gender. And for Samir to constantly, I would encourage him, you know, don't even worry about the labels. Just think about all the things you Potentially could be, and all of them are equally beautiful, and just be who you are. And if that Mm -hmm. changes with time, that's not a problem at all, you know, because it Mm -hmm. will, because all this stuff is very confusing. So, that thing for me was very freeing, just understanding that what am I trying to protect my child from, you know, one is like physical safety, that will always be a concern for me. But this idea about what people will think of Samir, what a future partner would think about Samir. I was like, I want whoever that person is to accept Samir for who they are. And Samir, even whether they're queer or not, was always a person who loved to play with dolls. That's the person who should be marrying Samir, regardless of what their gender will be. Mm -hmm. That's also if Samir wants to get married. You know, I've even evolved (laughs) to not caring about that. I just want my child to be happy. And more than that, to find someone, maybe one, maybe multiple people, friends. However they can just find supportive people around them who, you know, cherish having a person like Samir in their life.
0: Absolutely. I mean you touch on something that is so relevant for our communities, which is the what the community aspect of it, right? Of not only it being like a public thing, but what will they say. Can you talk a little bit more about just maybe even over the years it doesn't have to be at that moment that you're speaking about. But I wonder about what that's like for parents to go through. I know for my parents, like my biggest fear was I didn't live in the same city as them. They still live where I grew up and I didn't have to face the community kind of finding out about things because I would be off on the next flight and, you know, they would have to remain there and and hear things or see things. So can you talk a little bit about that, like just in terms of over time even or even now, like just this kind of community aspect and how you grappled with that?
1: Yes, especially because the community we live in, there were so many people who are our friends who were all South Asian. And I'd never heard of a single person in our community, you know, over here who uh, had come out. I think it all started with that letter So, and Samir then from then on choosing to be an activist. With that letter, we were like, okay, so this is going to go public. Samir really wanted to do it. And I couldn't at that point. I'd evolved enough already that I knew saying to Samir, we love you and support you, but we want to keep everything hidden or we don't want you to share, you know, just have your opinion be out in public would just give the opposite message. Of acceptance. So we went ahead and told Samir, go ahead, do whatever you want to, and we'll support you. And really quickly after that, we started just letting people know. In some ways now, I think we were outing Samir, but we were doing it with his permission or their permission. But um what I realized was every time, for instance, we were going to someone's house, And Samir would be like, you know, I would love to wear nail polish, but I don't know. I think I should take it out because we wouldn't want them to know. Or, you know, are you okay with me doing this? Because your friends might find out. Mm. So Samir would start saying things like this. And I knew at that time that unless I can publicly show that I don't care, my words won't matter. Hmm. There's so much stuff happening in media, just in people saying things that will always drown out any words of acceptance I give to Samir. So we started very publicly just, you know, talking about Samir being queer. I told most of the friends of mine who I thought would be the most conservative first. And to Samir, I said, anyone who accepts you is welcome in our life. Anyone who doesn't want to accept you will find out who they are and I will have zero regrets that they're not part of my life because the only person dad and I need to be happy is you. Did I mean all of that? I think I, and I hope I did, but Mm -hmm. we were also blessed that for the most part, because we were very supportive and we, when people would talk to us, we'd be like, we're just so proud of Samir. It became this thing that I would say, I'm so proud of Samir. Samir is such a brave child. I'm just so thrilled that they came out to us first and let us know exactly what their truth is and very supportive and very happy. A lot of times, maybe that was just faking it too, right? Because as Samir mm-hmm. would go on their journey, we'd learn new things. First, it was their sexuality. That's how they came out to us. And then the gender part was actually a lot harder because the term trans for us like meant so many things you know of the hijra community in south asia all the stereotypes Mm -hmm. you have about that i was worried about surgery i was worried about just all other kinds of dangers for samir and samir came out to us a few months later trump won the primaries and i don't know how much uh, you want me to bring politics in but if there were reasons to be afraid you know Uh, they they would be in the news all the time with Pence becoming, you know, the VP and then all the hate crimes against the transgender community starting to go on the rise, especially like, you know, trans women of color. So we had to learn about all of that and get over our fears about all of that. But publicly, we would just sort of put on this sort of like united front and a happy persona. And I will have to say that everyone just fell in. This whole idea of like, you know, what do other people feel? Let's worry Mm -hmm. about society. Really, society takes its cues from you. If you are strong, if you are united as a family, I think most South Asian people worry more about what their children will do, but are still willing to accept your child. They might be a little bit homophobic when it comes to their own family, But nobody will come and say things to you. They're not confrontational for the most part. And we've seen one by one, our community, you know, which is a fairly large community of South Asians, change and become accepting. As Samir came out, other people started coming out then. You know, their immediate families might have known, but they were never public about it. They started getting more public. And then when you have enough examples in the community, the community starts changing because they've seen these kids grow up. They're not strangers. They see them around at celebrations. And so they sort of, it becomes hard to hold your biases and your stereotypes about what quote unquote the homosexual lifestyle might be, or what, you know, those people can be like. And then a a 14 year old child wearing like a kurta pajama, just hanging out, smiling and being respectful. It just starts Mm -hmm. shattering those biases. And so we got very lucky. That in in faking it, we sort of pushed some boundaries and realized society was actually very accepting, more accepting than we thought it would have been. And I'm really glad that Samir wrote that letter, because otherwise we would have just been hiding, maybe ashamed, (laughs) worried, Mm -hmm. you know, and would never have realized how wonderful things can be.
0: Yeah. You were talking about this idea of community, right? And like, what will people say? But you also talked about something I want to follow back up on, which is the gender identity part, right? We talked about this earlier in our conversation about that difference between orientation and gender identity. Can you talk a little bit about your growth with that period as well? I think even for my parents, right, one of those initial questions that you talked about, the questioning phase was like, do you want to be a boy? Do you want to, you know, and I did wear more masculine presenting clothes. And, you know, obviously my my own identity has evolved even since then. But that was those things kind of get lumped together in our communities, especially because there aren't a lot of strong examples. Can you talk a little bit about your journey with that?
1: Absolutely. It's a journey. I think that I'm still on. We are still on as a family because for Samir, it's not very easy to figure things out. There's so many options available to them. They are feminine leaning. I don't know what the right term is. Uh, person who was assigned male at birth. Because they have a strong aesthetic sense, what does beauty look like when you look in the mirror? What makes you feel beautiful and look beautiful? Can be hard because so much of that is driven by societal standards. Mm. And so truly, Samir, you know, they call themselves, or at least for a while, the term they they liked using was flux. Mm. Which meant, you know, depending on the time of the day even, or depending on my mood, I could be more masculine or more feminine. And the gender is not really an important thing for me. I don't think of myself in terms of a gender first. Mm. That's not how I define who I am. And whatever that idea of my gender identity is, can also fluctuate. And truly, Samir, like, you know, when they want to, they will dress up, like, for instance, especially for formal events like prom or weddings, they like to dress up in really nice, beautiful gowns and put makeup on. Samir loves makeup. And then on an everyday basis, they like to be more comfortable and will wear, you know, more clothes that we would think would be stereotypically masculine. Mm. And so their gender expression varies and with the gender identity they were until very recently saying you know what I'm happy with all pronouns I answer to all pronouns he him they them are fine and what they started realizing was when they say that people just automatically go to he him and they want to sort of push that a little bit and so they're moving to they them pronouns just to make people aware that you know even if I sometimes look Completely masculine, that's not who I really am i'm my gender is it fluctuates and and mm-hmm. that also might change, I think you know, and th- so this is a conversation that Samir needs to have with themselves, with other people around them when they go to college and find what the options are for them and so for us then, as parents, we can't be at a point where something is static, and we're like, okay, now we accept this. It's more about sort of how do we be on a journey with someone who's going to be trying out different things and trying to figure things out. And how do we provide advice that's supportive, but also practical, right? Mm -hmm. As parents, I've always said my parenting style is also one that's in flux. I, I think of myself as a balancer. So if Samir, you know, was a child who was going to be extremely into sports, I would have said, you know, Samir, I think you need to balance that with studying a little bit more. Because Samir used to just love reading and would never, you know, want to go outside that much or play on the playground. Now I know why. But at that Mm -hmm. time, it would be like, you know, get some sunshine. I'm going to bribe you. I'll let you read one hour of a book if you go out and play a little bit and kick a ball. You know, which is a crazy thing to do. But in anything, anytime I see any extreme, I would want to balance that. So like that can be hard, right? Because you're always pushing your child outside their comfort zone. Where How, how do you do that in this case and still be supportive? For me, I, yeah. I read a lot. There is a organization called Gender Spectrum that puts out great resources. I like learning by talking to other people. So anytime, Samir takes us to a lot of conferences where he's speaking or they're speaking. And that gives us a chance to actually not only listen to them, but then listen to a lot of other people and attend other workshops. And when I find people who've had a similar journey to Samir's, I always go and try to talk to them about that. And then I also ask them, what would you have wanted your parent to do? You know, do you have any advice for us as a parent? And that's been really, really helpful.
0: hmm That's amazing. I think I was in awe of that for a second because I think, I mean, that takes a certain understanding, right, of this idea that like this is not just one thing or whatever identity they have come to you with. It's not just like, okay, we accept that. Now let's like pretend like everything's fine. I think in South Asian communities, there can be a tendency to brush things under the rug, even if you are supportive to your child at least, or even to the immediate community You're like, okay, yeah, it's like that. But like, let's not face it or let's not discuss it, I think. So that just kind of it gave me pause because, like, the idea that you, by talking to people, were also still learning is a great one and I think something that other people can learn from too. I guess in that vein, I would ask you, like, what would you have needed to hear or what do you think there's anything that would have made your journey any different or easier as parents? Hear from who? From Samir, from yourselves, from the community, like— I guess what I'm trying to get at is, like, for parents, like, the onus is on the child, right? Like, I felt like I had to educate them, but also they wanted to know. So I I came with, like, my own biases and understandings of things versus, like, what would have been helpful for my parents? You know, I try to think about it in that way, like, to be able to know or hear or be exposed to. And obviously that's not, like, in one period, right? Like you said, you're still kind of facing those things and, and having those conversations. But can you point to anything like that? Or
1: I think that we were just so fortunate to have Samira as a child. I mean, it's truly a blessing. And part of my not only peace, but I would say joy of having an LGBTQ child now is knowing that all the things that always made Samir wonderful were because of what their identity is. And so they Mm -hmm. are the way they are because of that. All their empathy, their intelligence and wisdom and their understanding of society and their courage and everything is because of everything that they have gone through themselves because they were different. We were beneficiaries of that because Samir always gave us immediate forgiveness a lot of time and patience and a lot of great words of like acceptance and unconditional love for us with all of our mistakes and everything that we had done. And so mm-hmm. then how can you not give that back to a child? So from Samir I almost feel like all I have is gratitude there's nothing that they could have done differently. Mm. They were almost like too wonderful and I I all I wish is that all parents would have a child like that. Mm-hmm. For me, the harder thing is my own parents. I hope I'm giving to Sameer what sometimes is harder for me to get from my own parents who in their own ways have evolved so much. My My mom lives in Pakistan. 2% acceptance of the LGBTQ community there. Mm-hmm. Laws mm-hmm. are still not changed unlike India. And so just things are just very different in that community. And... Originally, my mom, you know, the first time I came or shared some years coming out with my mom, she told me that she, that's why there are so many earthquakes in San Francisco because there's so many <laughs> gay people there, you know, so that's what she believed that like God gets so angry about this, that he sends earthquakes to destroy the entire land or something along those lines. And now we laugh about it because my mom, I'm again, very lucky, has also started evolving and changing. Samir wrote a a book for educators. And, you know, my mom read through some of that. My sister read through it. My dad is trying. And so they're like learning a lot as they kind of read some of the things. They would never pick up a regular book, but reading Samir's words because he's their grandkid. They're so proud that he's written a book is helping them a little bit. And so mm-hmm. I don't get those kinds of things from my mom or my dad anymore. You know, uh, we mm-hmm. now found out that Pakistan has more earthquakes than San Francisco does. <laughs> and so that was like sort of like, you know, one of those humorous <laughs> moments. But I still, you know, there's so many small things that are said mm-hmm. that can be really hard. Like when Samir will dress up for graduation day. And my dad was with us. Then, you know, after the graduation, we were so, this is high school graduation. We were so excited and thrilled about everything and just happy, you know, that Samir had achieved this milestone. And from this high, we get into the car and my dad turns around to Samir and says, I think it was something along the lines of, why did you choose to wear a dress? Were you the only boy wearing a dress? did you not think about wearing a suit? You know, something like that, mm-hmm. right? And then that would start a whole discussion. And my dad is like curious and has questions, but almost always it's like advice. And my dad firmly believes and has told Samir many times, I know what it means to be gay. I've known a lot of gay people who will say things like this. And they all married women to have children and you should do that too. You can be gay and you can still be married to a woman. And have Mm. children. He really just wants grandchildren. Mm. So he has all this advice that just seems so wrong. We're like, dad, like, how could Samir be happy? What about the woman who's going to be marrying Samir? Do you know you can have children? Otherwise, there's so many things to unpack there. My dad also has a lot of things to me. Like, he'll be like, to Samir, I love you. I accept you. Then he'll turn around. And privately to me, he'll be like, you know, I told you when he was younger. This is not the way to raise him. Mm-hmm. Or why are you encouraging him to wear makeup? You know, I I see you. It's all coming from you. You're going with him and buying him makeup. Why are you doing that? Samir doesn't want makeup. You're the one who's buying him makeup. Or mm-hmm. he'll see, one time he said this to me that really hurts still, that, you know, I think you lack female companionship and so you're t- trying to turn Samir into a woman. Mm-hmm. This was like just this trip. While at the same time, in many, many, many ways, he's so accepting of Samir and loving towards Samir. So there are things you just can't change when you're dealing with someone who's almost 80, you know, whose memory is going, Mm -hmm. we'll have the same conversations over and over again. And there's no growth because my dad will forget the entire Mm -hmm. conversation, Mm -hmm. a movie, a chapter of a book within a day or two. Mm. And so you it's like groundhog day where you're just having these conversations. And so a lot of the stuff he's carrying with him are just old experiences and old memories. And then, you know, with age comes bluntness. And so he's saying things that I know maybe other people might be thinking. Mm. Right. Mm. I get a lot of things from the community as well. about why are you so open? Why does everything have to be so public? You know, straight kids don't go around broadcasting their sexuality. Why do you or your family or Samir have to? not understanding how important it is you know And, and difficult it is to be there out there to sort of break all these you know societal norms so yeah so I think for me the things that I would want to hear from my friends and from my family there are more things I would want to hear I would want to hear that you know we're genuinely proud of Samir and that which they do say and that you know This is how kids are, and it's fine, and the world is changing. I would love to hear almost everybody I know say that the whole gender binary is fake and is a construct and has no meaning. And I think that instead of just waiting for other people to say that to me, I say that to everyone and try to do things to make the world around me change, to become more accepting for other parents who are coming out.
0: Absolutely. I mean... That's a great way to go about it. And I guess just to wrap up, I would say, despite everyone's journey being different, do you have any kind of words of advice for parents or families or even children going through this based on your own experiences?
1: Yes. We are part of um, this amazing network that, you know, Aruna, that you spoke of earlier, it started that, you know, sort of provides a place for both children who are looking for support as they're trying to come out to their parents and then parents who are going on the journey, they can come to this resource and talk to other parents. We have people who speak many different languages and represent many different parts of South Asia. So I would definitely plug us as a resource. Mm. And then there is this community of people. If you have older children, it's called Tricon, that has all different kinds of LGBTQ South Asians that come together. They do social events they participate in, of course, activism, pride parades and things like that, but it's also a really great place where you can just be yourself completely. And so, you know, for children, I would recommend checking uh, that out. For parents who have younger children who might be gender nonconforming or trans, I think this uh, gender spectrum is just a wonderful organization. And my advice for all kids would be unconditional love is your birthright if you are not getting that that is not your fault it's nothing that you have done and so I just want to say I'm sorry I'm sorry that it as parents we constantly are failing you that when you come out to us we make the process and journey so hard that in any way if we make you feel like we're putting society before you That is our failure as a society. That is our failure as parents. South Asian parents can be really good at guilt tripping their children and making them believe that they're in the wrong. But in this particular case, you are not in the wrong. You have every right to live your life, to be happy, to love whoever you want to, to wear whatever you want to, and still be loved completely and unconditionally. And so... If you are on a journey where you're not getting that from your family or not getting that all the time from your family and that makes your life hard and you have any guilt related to that, my hope, my prayer is that you find a way to let that guilt go, that you grab happiness wherever you can. You invite your family to participate on the journey, but if they're not coming along, you just know it's not your fault and has nothing to do with you. It's a failure of your parents and your family. Yeah, that's the main thing. And then for parents, I would say just hear my advice to your child. You know, your children are not responsible for educating you. They're not responsible for changing to please you. I'm sure like me, a lot of the times, whatever journey you're on with your child, there's a lot of fear of society, fear of physical safety, fear of, you know, your child's future that sort of might be preventing you from fully embracing them. But if you're worried about bullies outside of the home and because of that, you become a bully inside of your home to your own child and you make your home an unsafe place, that means you're leaving your child with no safe place to go. So the world may be great, may be hard, but you have the opportunity to be that safe haven for your child. By just giving them that, that space to be who they are and embracing them, that will make your child stronger. My feminine boy with a, you know, face full of makeup with, you know, such feminine uh, mannerisms is the strongest human being I know. And when they walk in the world, they project that strength because they know that we have their back you can give that strength to your child. You can give that protection to your child. People don't mess with kids who are strong, you know? And so whatever worries you have, whether it's your child's safety, if it's, you know, whatever things you're thinking, just give that that acceptance to your child, that safety to your child, whether it's a phase or a permanent thing or, you know, something in between. In all their phases, your child should know that they were loved. That's
0: wonderful, Charmaine. I mean, I... I know I'm going to go back and listen to that part over and over, but thank you for putting that so eloquently and thank you for being on the show. I mean, I think hearing about your experiences, definitely for me, but I'm sure for so many people that will hear this will make an impact and, and mean so much. So thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your story with us.
1: It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so and much. And also thank you for everything you are doing <sighs> to sort of like, you know, break down the silence and do away with the shame. <laughs>
0: I'm trying. I'm excited to speak to Samir because they are one of my many long list of of inspiration and folks in this community that have supported each other through their their activism and their work. So I owe it all right back to the community. And I'm just thankful to be able to be one of many avenues.
1: So Priya, you asked if I had any advice for other parents or children. Yes. Do you have any advice for me, especially in terms of how I can support your work? Or how, as a community, we could be supporting the work you're doing? What, what Do you have a goal or a dream Queering Desi is a part of, and how can the community support you more?
0: Wow. I <laughs> I wish I had thought about this more, because I know it's not going to be very eloquent. But I know Queering Desi is just one piece of something so much bigger, and I know that Queering Desi is what it is because of the stories that are not heard. So like my dream and I have a really like detailed like business side dream of like Queering Desi, but like community wise, I think for Queering Desi, like I see it as a tiny like little hole for steam to come out because I feel like at least personally for me in my journey, even though I've been out for years, it's kind of amazing still when I see or meet queer see people it's always like oh my god you know you exist or we're out here or I'm not alone you know that feeling has never gone away because that community gives me so much strength so I think for the community it's just about like supporting one another I wish more people knew about this podcast I wish more parents like yourself would talk about it Um, more families would talk about it I wish our, you know, other community leaders would talk about it. I know religion factors in a lot for people. It's something we haven't talked a lot about on this show. I know class and caste and all these things are wrapped up in all the things that we talk about on this show all the time. So I wish so much more for our community to rally around all the ideas you've talked about, right? Like gender not being, a, you know, a binary or like things like that that I wish could I wish we could, like, break open the door, you know? And I know that's somewhat unrealistic, and I think we're doing that. All of the activists and all the people that are out and visible are doing that in their own small way. But I think it's just supporting one another. Like, I've loved following Samir's journey. I think, like, there's so many other activists like them who I draw power and inspiration from, and my hope is that Queering Daisy can become a little bit of that for other folks who may not have an avenue. You know, the thing with the podcast is that... It's such a different medium and I didn't see it out there because I kind of imagined a kid finding this online, downloading it on their phone and listening, you know, in a literal or or figurative closet and and getting a piece of the world anywhere they are, no matter how darkest that corner is. And that's what drives me. You know, I, I want our community to be more open about this, that we should not be alone and that we should talk about it more, you know. Oh,
1: my God, that is such a beautiful thing to say, Priya. I'm just imagining that <laughs> child there, you know, listening to the podcast and realizing I'm not alone.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think like that's the the biggest thing. You know, I just did an interview yesterday and they were like, what's your advice? And you're not alone. Like that's like my, I wish I could like scream that from the the rooftops because it's still something that creeps up on my own journey, even though I'm so out, even though I'm not alone. And I know that there's always that fear. and. Maybe that's my projection, right? I don't know if I should work from a place of that, but it's part of my journey, and I know, like, you're not alone. Like, I wish people knew that, and and they don't have to be out, and they don't, you know, if it's not safe, that's okay. Like, you can be wherever you're at in your journey, but you're just not alone, and there's, like, a whole community out here waiting for you and a rallying around you no matter what.
1: Well, thank you so much for yeah. including Samir and for including yes. me in this initiative that you're doing, it's so wonderful, so needed. We really have very few role models, at least in the areas that we are doing the kind of work that you're doing. And so it's very inspiring.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for being on and for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. All
1: right. Take care.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Queering Daisy. If you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to rate and subscribe on iTunes to help us spread the word and to make sure you get the latest episodes right to your phone. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Queering Daisy. If you have any questions, comments or feedback, please feel free to reach us on social media or drop us an email at queeringdaisy at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.